The reason people aren't financially free is they don't know what to do and they don't know where to start. I want you to join Joey and I at the Virtual Inner Circle Live April the 4th through the 6th as we share with you the exact answers to those questions. We only do this event one time per year. I don't want you to miss out. Go to westwatwallstreet.com forward slash live and enter promo code podcast. When you're at this event, you're going to get your investor DNA. You're going to get access to up to six different passive income strategies. So you know, leaving this event, exactly what to do, taking our decades of knowledge so that you can start becoming financially free. Go to wealthwhitewallstreet.com forward slash live and enter the promo code podcast. All right, Russ. So I got to share with you a quick story. Okay. Just today, I was talking with a friend of mine, a client of ours, and uh, he said, man, now that I have clarity on my ultimate goal, I know one thing, and that is that my 401k is not a part of it. Yeah. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't like the 401k. He's going to say, uh, Saranara. Saranara. Yeah, he, he, he had a very uh, different accent than that. But, <laughs> but he said, point blank, he went on his company's website, 401k website. He started playing with the numbers because they, first of all, they sent him a letter and said, hey, we're going to auto enroll you. And he's like, whoa, no, you're not. That is the key. Like that is what 401k companies at Wall Street loves. Let me go ahead and auto enroll for your benefit, not for ours, but for your benefit. Yeah. I'd prefer you to be given as money. I mean, what what would be the alternate to that? Like if I was like, hey, by the way, I'm going to do a direct deposit into my account from you for your benefit. Yeah, for your benefit. When, I, whenever would that work? I'm just going to hold on to it for a little bit. <laughs> just like the next 30 years. But anyway, long story short, he went into his, because uh, he was trying to stop the thieves from coming into his storehouse. And he went onto the website and he said, wait a minute, there's a calculator here. Let me just start messing with this. And he starts moving the sliders. And he's like, okay, well, if I put in this percentage, 5% of my money or 10% of my money, he went all the way to 50% of his income being his contribution into his 401k. And do you realize when they said he would run out of money uh-uh. when he re- after he retired, uh-uh. he could not get past 76 years old. So if, if he put in 50% of his income, assuming he could put all of that in there. That was the longest he could go. And, and he retired at age 65. He gets 11 years max. That's crazy. Like you better die before 76. Well, we've got a retirement calculator inside of our community that, that talks a lot about that, right? Yes. Wade Fowl, who came on our show, he said that you better have a stinking lot of money aside because if you don't want to run out of money, it's going to be a big number. That's why financial freedom is so much easier, bro. That's right. Today's podcast is all about showing you how to create passive income. You're going to hear on this episode how much in passive income we've created. You're going to get to hear even more of the stories behind the things that we've invested in, things we didn't invest in in the month of May. Right, and why. But but I just think it's important to have a goal in mind. And we're rolling out a challenge, a challenge so that you can actually have your financial destination very clearly spelled out for you. If you go to wealthwildwallstreet.com forward slash passport, you can take this free challenge that will give you exactly what you need to be doing between now and becoming financially free, Joey. I think this is one of the key ingredients to what we call the GPS. Well, it, it, just think about it for a second. When you have a passport, what's what's in that passport? The destination. 
right? The place that you're heading has to, you have that stamp in there, right? That's where I was. That's where I'm headed. And that's exactly what you're going to get through this challenge is you're going to fill in that passport with a vision of exactly what financial freedom is going to look like. Because as you're on this path, you're going to run into some roadblocks and you're going to need to be reminded, why am I doing this again? Why am I going through some of these challenges? It's because I'm headed here. Well, the things that we share in here are the things that you and I started doing five, six, seven years ago and have applied and actually now have seen them come to fruition. So go to wealthwildwallstreet.com forward slash passport. We want to see you achieve your financial destination. But if you want to hear how we did in the month of May, you got to jump in. Let's go. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now, here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. All right, Stallion, May 2021 Passive Income Report, initial thoughts. Well, I, I kind of just shared this pre-show. Uh, some of you that are watching this live that, man, a year ago, how far have we come? Like, this is an amazing transformation. And I think it comes down to going from no focus to, like, complete focus on so, passive income. So you think the biggest jump that we had from May of 2020 to May of 2021 was focus. I think that's what I think. Okay. Did, did having any money uh, invested have anything to do with it? What do you mean? Like had we been investing in the same sort of things in May, 2020 that we're investing into now? Oh no. Okay. So no. we, we took action. Yes. I, I, Focus is one. I'll give you that. But I also think there was a lot of action taken. Well, I, I, that was the other thing I was going to say is we went from a point where we had really been curating these ideas for probably at least a year to two years before that. Okay. And I feel like that was an, an opportunity for us to kind of filter through and say, which one of those things really resonated with us? Um, I think we learned a lot about applying the investor DNA. Well, when you said the investor DNA, some people know what you're talking about. Most probably don't. Okay. The investor DNA is uh, applying your own personal um, way of thinking about the world, i.e. think about your personality, but applying it to the financial side of things. Here's how I would describe that a little bit better, Stallion. I, how did I know that you had a struggle, a bro? That was a struggle. <laughs> but it, it, here's the thing. You listen to so many ideas. And the most common comment is, which one do I do? Exactly. If you're like me, you go, which one do you not do? Right? Because you want to do them all. Yeah, you're like a kid in a candy store. So the hard part is really uh, like nailing it down or narrowing it down to one or two. So then if you take your personality style, you take this profile test that we've built out and be able to combine that with our top five or six personal passive income strategies that we've been employing, then you can look at it from the pro side. So how would my personality style see this investment opportunity? What would oh, I like about it? And then just the opposite. What are the things that I would have to do or be involved in that I won't like? 
Right. And having just the knowledge of that ahead of time tells you if this is something I'm personally going to do. Do I need a business partner that maybe would really enjoy those things that I don't necessarily like? That would be cons for me, but maybe pros for them. Well, and and the last part is is some of the key factors. How much money is going to be required? How much time of me would be required? That's huge. Level of detail required for me to get involved in this project. I think all of that is what the investor DNA in our passive income matrix has done, right? And that's something that is inside of our $97 course that people can take action on. There's so much there, but I agree with you. Had we done some of that, say, back 2019, 2018, we would have been probably taking a lot more action. I feel like I was just kind of looking around trying to decide which one of these things do I want to do, and then time uh, just busyness, just being busy with life and not being focused, as you said a second ago, prevented me from probably taking more action than I should have. 100%. And I think the more that you, um, first of all, have a thoughtful approach to these things, because what was happening is over three or four years ago, we started hearing these ideas. We got really excited about some of them. And then, but when you really kind of boiled it down, a lot of them were not passive in any way. A lot of them were not things that we were sure could become cash flow. We were kind of speculating on some of those things. So for us, it was kind of getting, again, getting down to the fact of which ones fit us, our time possibilities, if you will, a buy box for us. And I think that that's what each of you, if you're listening to this right now, you have an opportunity to apply that same framework. And and we've got some exciting news coming out on the information side. Not, not necessarily this month, but in, in the next coming months, you're going to have an opportunity to go through a specific framework that we went through to find out your top two passive income strategies. If you've been in that position, I'm confused. I don't know where to start. This is going to help you get there. And, and I'm excited to roll that out. And, and hopefully it won't take you the three years like it did us to get unconfused, to get more clear, and then to ultimately take action Yeah, like we started to really about a year ago is where we first started. That's when we had that first conversation about, hey, you know what? You have this long-term rental. What if we converted that into a short-term rental? Put it up on Airbnb, put it on VRBO, go and look at ways that we can actually increase its value to the marketplace and get paid for that. And that was a game changer. All right, let's, I I want to share our report. Okay. Let's do this live here. Let's let's share the report so that way you can actually keep track with us as we talk about what's going on and and what happened last month. So Stallion, if we if we start at the top, we've got a land business which many of you have heard us talk about the land geek. We totally encourage you to take advantage of some of the things that Mark Podolsky and his team are doing. Uh, we're getting ready actually to go out to their live event in august right right in vegas so if you if you're not already signed up for the boot camp uh, go over to the thelandgeek.com and uh, sign up man i'd love to see you i'd love to know that you got there because you heard us on this podcast but so many of you are listening to this because you are land geekers you you've already been there you've heard us talk about infinite banking and how we're using our our systems to build out our own land flipping business but joey as we look at the land business for uh, May, uh, we brought in a little over $8,000 in passive income. That's right. And it purely is passive in this one business. Right, right. That is netting out all expenses, any commissions paid on the sale of that land, all those things considered. 
that's what's left over. Um, a couple quick updates on that is in the month of May, uh, the inventory that we were able to purchase, we sold immediately. That tells you something about the market. The, the market is hot in all areas. I mean, we know that right now in the uh, residential real estate market that it's hard to get enough property as own the market and they're selling as soon as they get it. It is the same thing with raw dirt. Yeah, people are looking for land and it it's for a, a myriad of different uh, reasons, but I think a lot of it has to do with people just want their own space. They're maybe they're tired of, you know, working and living at home 24/7. And they're like, just a, I just need a little space. <laughs> Here's the thing. I don't care why they want it. I'm just glad they want it. I'm just glad that we found a way to take a, a, something that people do want and then turn it into cash flow. Unlike most things, when you're flipping houses, you're literally just trying to get the big lump sum. And that's, that's right. awesome. Unfortunately, it constantly requires you to do another deal, another deal, another deal. And that's a lot like being in the rat race. A hundred percent. The the way that we run our land flipping business is that we find properties and we sell them to people on monthly terms. So those notes keep coming in. So what you're looking at is $8,260 a month that's coming in and is going to keep coming in most of those notes for the next 48 months up to 60 months. That's right. So when every single month we will add to that as we buy and sell properties. Now there are times where you may see that number potentially dip and that's because someone couldn't make their monthly payment. And we've had that happen in the past, Joey. Yep. Somebody defaults on that note that we set up for them. And what happens is we have to take the land back and we have inventory now to resell. And when we do that, then our uh, monthly income goes back up and it keeps going for a little bit longer because that new note gets pushed out a couple more months since it's a new whole term. That's right. That's right. Couple quick updates on the land. One, a uh, little over $10,000 in the bank to buy more inventory. But we had a huge expense uh, in very end of May, early June here for taxes. $32,000 in taxes. So taxes. That, that was a huge tax cut into our, our, uh, our assets there. I, I will say that is the one thing about all businesses that I hate is that we have to pay taxes. I mean, if you guys come up with the business where you don't have to, please just let us know. Well, as long as it's legal, okay? I don't. I I know there's a few of you out there like I got. To, I know how to do it. You just don't pay them. You don't tell anybody. You do it. You do that thing. What we call cash money underneath the table, <laughs> and that's just not something I. You know, I, I don't mind having uh, meals every single day. I just don't want them served behind bars. Exactly. So exactly. I don't want that. We do have to pay taxes. That was a big bill. And, and we're actually having a meeting with our team soon to talk about how we're going to acquire more property, um, some of the new things that we're going to do, some of the new investments we're going to make in that space. But if you're interested in how do you start this business, go over to thelandgeek.com, talk to those guys, come to the um, August boot camp out in Las Vegas. I'm not a gambler, but uh, I'd love to see you there. love to spend time with you and, and hear about uh, what you've got going Joey, I don't want to spend any time talking about our cattle business because really it sucks. It's not much to talk about. <laughs> but our wake up in Birmingham business, that's our short-term rental business. That is exciting too. That's right. That's right. And this month was another great month to see an increase. Uh, the month of May, we brought in $54,000 and uh, $54,048.99 in income. Now you also have a few units specifically uniquely that was brought in another 1786 25 
after all expenses between the ones we jointly own and the one that you own or the few that you own there is 20,770. That's our net profit, man. What do you think about that? I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's keep that going. Yeah. I mean, that this to me is the land business and the short-term rental business are the two things that match my inv- investor DNA the most because I love the excitement of them. I love the quickness to getting our cash coming back to us. I love the ability to be able to share it with somebody, right? I can tell somebody about, hey, you travel into Birmingham, come stay at one of our units. You live in Birmingham, hey, take a vacation inside the city. Your house gets uh, torn up by a tornado. I got a place you can come to. I well, mean, you're, you're a hospitable guy. I am. Let's just be honest. Right. Thank you. I mean, so I, I agree with you. I, I've helped, I've hosted you several times. I mean, I, I'm grateful. I'm ready for your lake house to be done so you can host me there again. Oh man, two of us. Don't tell me, don't, don't even get me started on Lake House, man. This, this is one of those things where I'm not going to get you done. I, that I flipped the Lake House thinking I was going to be able to build one quickly. That just doesn't happen. I'm pissed about that. Yeah, part. not 2021. Um, okay. Not, it doesn't sound like in 2022. Either. But look, we got to get, we got to get to the behind the scenes here, Russ. Oh yeah. Okay. We got to get through this so we can tell people about the deals we didn't do. Okay. And also some of the things we're considering. All right. Well, here, why don't we just do this? You guys can look at the report online. You can you can see what happened as far as income expenses. We had over a hundred thousand dollars and in income coming from the businesses that is not our mainline business. Joey and I do not work in these business. We have operators running these businesses for us. We had a little over forty six thousand in monthly expenses, so we netted fifty six thousand in passive income to us for the month of May. Now, comparing that to last month, that's up from 54000 Yes. I like up. I'm, I'm, yeah, let's keep going that way. Up and to the right. Well, <laughs> it, this is the, that, I mean, that's fun to talk about that. But I agree. I do want to go deeper. I want to talk about the philosophy behind investing in these things. Maybe some deals that we were looking at, some investments that we made, some investments that we didn't make, and why. Because there's, I, I think when you're listening to this, you're saying, well, that's great. This is exciting. I like to see you guys making money. If you two morons can do it, hopefully I can as well. <laughs> That's the whole purpose of this podcast, right? Is to share ideas, to get people to take action, to get you to focus, but also like behind the scenes. What were those things that we were thinking about? Are you looking for ways to implement ideas, get exposure to new ones, and be surrounded by people on the same journey as you? Joey, where can they go to do that? Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash community. You can join for free today. So let's talk a little bit about that, Joey. I think that would help the listener who really wants to take action on that next step. Absolutely. Yeah. So I I think one thing we've actually mentioned on this report before is how the 100unicorns.com drop shipping business I started or bought was going to transition into an Amazon business. And I found a lot of roadblocks along the way. Going back to, I don't want to keep beating the dead horse, but or a dead unicorn. Um, but the investor DNA and passive income matrix that we've created, if I had looked at that before I bought 100unicorns.com, I would have realized the amount of time that it takes for someone to properly operate one of these businesses was far greater than what I could give to it. And if I had known what the cost would be to hire that operator, I probably would have passed on the investment. So 
that's just a lesson learned. But here's the, th the thought process was, why don't we buy an existing e-commerce business? If you didn't hear this in previous episodes, why don't we buy an existing Amazon business and allow them to white label some products under their, their whole process for 100 unicorns? So we started down that path and we looked to purchase one um, from, from somebody in our network and we made an offer to them for $1.6 million. Well, so here's the thing. I think we've looked at your business and said, hey, starting one from scratch is going to require a lot more of our time. Even though we won't operate it, it would require a lot of our brain space to get it going, to add some of the operational things that we've been able to build in all of our other businesses, to add some of the marketing aspects that we've been able to build in all our other businesses it would require a lot more time than we had to give it. So we wanted, for us, we're kind of at that point where if you've ever played the game cash flow, you know that there's two piles. There's a small deal pile and there's a big deal pile. Yep. And where you started in 100 unicorns was a small deal pile. It is a pile of... Small deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And But we wanted to say, okay, how do we move from that pile to the big deal pile and, and do it where we can like go to cash flow immediately. So let's buy a business that immediately is cash flowing. So for us, we looked at one that's cash flow, at least on the surface, was a little over 400000 a month net after all expenses. And that was a $3 million of sales. Yeah. And, and we were like, okay, so this is one that we can get behind. Now we started looking at some of the products they're selling, looking at the people who are running the business. And, and we're really getting super comfortable. But I've got to be honest with you as you're listening to me. I, I don't know why we say that. I got to be honest with you as if like before this moment, I'm not being honest with you. <laughs> but just like, you know, letting letting down the curtain of the idea guy facade here. I didn't know what the crap I was doing buying a business that we were potentially going to write a check for one point five million. Like that was a big deal. No doubt. No doubt. And I think we it, what did it do? It forced us to have to bring in other advisors. Okay, so that that's part of the thing, I think, behind the curtain. Like, when you're faced with this sort of opportunity, what was the things that we did? What We didn't, by the way, I'm going to let, let it, let the cat out of the back. We didn't buy the business. Right. But what was the process that we went through that would help somebody else? Well, so, so number one, we asked somebody that was familiar with the space, a consultant, if you will, and Justin, who, who works with us, he also does several different Amazon type businesses. And we just said, hey, this is kind of what we're looking at. What do you see or not see that we would need to ask questions about? Well, I think in any business or any venture you're looking to go into, you want to go find the experts in the space and ask them all the questions about the business. So then they start giving you feedback and that would allow you to think of what other things don't you know. And that's kind of what we did, right? We went and talked to people who were experts in those spaces and said, hey, what do we know to know about this space? what's going to help it win, what's going to make it fail, and then now let's apply that to this specific one. Right. The second person I think that we brought into the deal was a structuring specialist. So somebody that looked at the business with us, and maybe they weren't like 100% familiar with Amazon or e-commerce type businesses, but they're a business structure specialist. And they said, hey, you know what, here's a way that you could um, buy this business and you could mitigate this risk, you could increase um, you could uh, reduce liability 
in the future for how you set up the actual um, corporation. And so those were things I felt like were invaluable to me in the process to learn those, uh, even though we didn't buy it. Well, I would say too, one of the things that as we were going through that process is we applied something that Nelson Nash talked about in his book, Becoming Your Own Banker, the economic value add principle. Yep. And when we were looking at this, the, the business was being touted with a EBITDA, earning before taxes and depreciation, earnings before interest, taxes and depreciation. We were looking at that and as if it was $420,000. Well, but that's not what it was, right? That's right. Because we noticed there were several things that were missing on line items, like paying the management company because the person managing the business was also the owner of the business. And they weren't accounting for that cost. There was no line item there. Well, we know that that person wasn't going to continue to manage the business when they were no longer the owner. So we had to account for what's the cost of that. The The second thing on that list is, Joey, we noticed that they they weren't distributing a whole lot of money. And when we dug deeper into why, like, look, you're showing lots of profit. Where Where's the money going? What were they doing with their cash? They were just buying more inventory and just investing back in the business. So they were using their own cash in the business to reinvest. So that's a violation of many principles that uh, Mike McCallis would have in Profit First, right? you got to be paying yourself an owner's salary. You need to also be paying yourself a profit on the business. That's right. It, the whole reinvest, reinvest concept is fine, but only if you know that you're reinvesting back out of your, your pocket. You got to get the money to you. And then the business says, no, I need more money. And you need to go, okay, well, tell me, uh, business, what are you going to do with this money? Is it going to be profitable? So you and I went in and determined what the cost of cash was. And we put interest to that because we were like, if we own this business, we're not going to invest from cash. We're going to invest from where? Our insurance policy. So that money's going to have to get our system. Yeah, it's going to have to get back to us. And then we're going to turn it around and lend it back to the business only if it would be a profitable adventure. 100%. And that's the only way that you know is by a, uh, accounting for those costs. So for us going through that process, we said, no, I don't think the EBITDA is 420, 430,000. It's more like 300,000. So because of that, now we're willing to, to take a percentage or a multiple of that number and make an offer. And so we did, we made an offer. I think it was a good offer, Joey. I think it was, um, I think we would have added tremendous value to the business just from a marketing perspective. I love the business. I, I would support it now that I know more about it, but unfortunately we didn't get the deal. That's right. And I think it had, it really boiled down to at least what we were told is that he got a cash offer for what he was looking for. Which, and, and what was the difference between how we were going to set it up and how he ended up going? Well, we were not going to do cash. I mean, I, I'm just just straight up after the amount of investments we've done now and, and you know, just investigating businesses as a whole and, and all types of investments, it, taking money out of your own pocket and investing 100% of it, that just is for the birds. Like you can get money. At, money's the easy thing. And so I, we were not going to come, nor were we going to go borrow money from a bank because I just didn't want to go deal with the small business association and, and all the rules required to do that. So good for them that they got cash. But here's a, this part on the flip side, I would say, for if you own a business or you own a piece of real estate and you're considering selling it, what are you going to do with the money? Yeah, you, you got it, especially if you're at the tail end of your life. Well, it doesn't matter when you are. What if I give you a chunk of money, Joey, right now, what is the thing that you're going to go do with it? You're going to have to reinvest it. 
You have to reinvest it, and it better bring you a better return than what you left on the table. Well, so here's the point that, you know, if you own a business, you own real estate, or you're talking to somebody about buying a business, they don't want a big chunk of cash. As much as you think you do or as much as you think that they do, they really don't. What are they going to do with it? They're going to spend it or they're going to go put it to work to create cash flow. That's right. So it, what's the what's the thing that if they would have owned or financed it to us, Joey, we would have paid him a guaranteed return, would we not? We would. And if we didn't pay him, what was the collateral? The business. Uh, does he know anything about the business? 100% of it. As compared to if somebody gets a chunk of cash, and then they 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 know this one business. So now what do they have to do with this chunk of cash? Well, they can't put it in the business. They've sold the business. So then they go put it in some other business that they don't know anything about, that they don't control, and they hope what? It comes back. Yep. And they're, the collateral on that is probably less than the collateral that they would have had in the business that they sold or the real estate that they sold. So to me, the lesson learned here is that when you're buying things from people, Try to get them to sell or finance it and talk about those conversations. Talk about what would you do with the money if I did write you a big check? Like, that's cool and all, but what would you do with it? I'm sure you're going to spend some of it. Good for you. And whatever that is, I could probably write you a check and you can go handle that. But the rest of it, the other 90% of the money, you're going to go invest it. Where, well, where are you going to invest it? And what your, return are you going to get on what it? What you're pointing out, Russ, is something I've actually been learning through Jeff Stevens' creative finance course. If you haven't already checked that out, um, Jeff Stevens is fantastic. We interviewed him on our podcast and he has a deals course, um, that, uh, you can certainly look him up and get signed up with that. But here's the deal. He asked that magic question of every seller. If this was going to work out for you, the way that you drew it up perfectly, what would it look like? And he starts to get them to think and start to dream and start to answer that question before it becomes an issue. Like, what would you do with the cash, assuming that you got it? And it's it's kind of one of those awkward questions that you don't necessarily like. They might think that you're, you know, asking bo below the surface. Like, I don't I don't want to tell you that. But if you frame it in the way of what, you know, how are you going to replace the cash flow you've received from this business? What you must have something better in mind, right? And then to bring it back to them, what you've really done, and I think this is a beautiful thing, it's a win-win-win scenario. You're helping them to solve a problem that they may not even really have considered. Number two, it takes a lot less of your capital to make it happen. And they may be thinking, wow, you just did me a favor. So everybody wins in that scenario. You, you kept them from having to create cash flow. And by the way, if they were a business owner, were they used to the business giving them cash flow? 100%. If they were a real estate investor, rental property, were they used to the business giving them cash flow? Every month. So when you offer them seller financing, what you're offering them is another way to keep getting cash flow from a business they're already familiar with. Without the headache and the overhead that they may have had experience in the past. Well, all the time. My wife's in a dental business uh, for 10 years. She sold a practice two years ago. We still to this day get letters in the mail from people trying to buy a dental practice she doesn't own anymore so that they can take over the headaches in management of the business and give you cash flow. Now, I, I would love to sell them a couple of imaginary businesses you know, that she doesn't own anymore, but that's probably not right. Is it? But I, I would just say like this to me, that was a, a moment of we learned a lot. I would say one of the things that we should have done earlier is that we should have written up a letter of intent 
uh, a month and a half prior to that. We waited. We didn't know. We thought, well, before we write a letter of intent, like we don't want to write our names on something and, and give somebody a potential offer and then go through all the due diligence and realize this is a stupid thing. No, we don't want to do that. But yet that's what we really should have done. That was a little lessons that we didn't um, know that we know until the end. And we went through that process at the very end and then basically gave them the offer. And a week later was found out that, you know, Hey, I've been researching since you guys took so long to make the, make yeah. me an offer. I, I found a deal that I think is better. Yeah. Time uh, was wasted in that for sure. Well, but I, I always think that there's things that you learn from this. So hopefully that helped you. Uh, there's a couple other businesses that we did invest in uh, from our investment companies in uh, May of 2021. You want to talk about those? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's start with the note fund. Okay. Okay. So uh, you, you guys are already have heard us interview Jamie Bateman um, on our podcast. He's a, a note investor. Well, he's put together a fund and he approached us about being a part of it. And what, what I liked about it was, is here's the deal. It's, it's super collateralized, right? A note is just like, I mean, first of all, my background being in mortgage, I love the idea of being the bank and the note fund is all about being the bank. So you're getting a relatively safe, secure kind of investment with a quarterly distribution on just a preferred rate, but then you also have some upside potential. So to me, it was, it, it was cash flow and upside potential. And it was with people that we knew and had built relationship value given relationships over a number of years that made me like, you know what, this is, this is worth it for us. Well, this what is about what, you. Yeah. I would say one of the things about investing in something like that, we are already the bank, right? We teach people all the time to put your capital in a place that you can access it, potentially take over certain notes that you have. And th those notes basically then put you in the position to be the bank. And in this situation, we're we're going out and we're buying notes that banks have on other people's homes. And maybe for one reason or another, they don't want to to own those. They they want to sell them off. Maybe it's because some people aren't paying them <laughs> and they sell them off at a discount. Like the person owes a hundred thousand on a two hundred thousand dollar house, but they haven't made a payment in, you know, 10 months. And maybe you can buy it for sixty thousand and not a hundred thousand. And you work out the deal with the person and try to get them to get back purchasing it. If you if they don't purchase it, you just come in and you go and um, you know go through the foreclosure process. But there's also times where people are making payments, and you can buy it, and maybe you buy it at the price of what it is, and the bank needs the cash for other deals that they're doing, and you come in and now you get the cash flow. So I, what I like about it is that we are being the bank. I like the fact that it's collateralized by a hard asset. Uh, there's some kind of value add for all the people that are not making payments. You can add a, a team of people who've done it before, which that's something that these guys have done. They've done that before. They've, they've taken people that are not paying. They call that non-performing and make them performing. And when you do that, you make the value of that underlying asset go up. At the worst case scenario, you end up having to go kick some people out of houses. You know, I've talked to you about repo and houses or repo and cars. <laughs> I guess, you know, I could add that to my repertoire, even though I'll never do it. But you can, you know, if you had to, I don't want to, but that's sometimes that has to be done. And, and then ultimately you're in, you're flipping the house and creating a rental property or whatever with this. So I, I like just being the bank part of it. And yeah. there's so many little nuances to that, that I, I enjoyed about it. The next part, Joey, is that we kind of move from the small deal pile in the crypto miner space to the big deal deal pile on that. That's right. 
And I think part, and this is just something that, again, if you talked to us a year ago or two years ago, we knew enough about crypto to buy some Ethereum mining machines. And we said, hey, this would be like owning a rental property, right? The cash flow from this could exceed what a regular uh, rental property would potentially pay. But what has happened is we've started to see even a potential shift to where this is a true currency replacement mm. potential. And so that has made us, in my opinion, just from talking to experts in the space, not we don't pretend to be them, we have started to see the much bigger opportunity that this could be. And we said, we got to start playing in a bigger uh, a bigger role here. Well, and, and we get questions all the time. One of the questions right now was kind of, how did we get the miners? Did we buy them? Did we rent them? And I don't know a ton about this. So I don't know if there's lots of different options to that. Right. Um, we, we just, um, through our network and relationships, uh, built uh, built a relationship over the years with a group of people who uh, started a company who did that, and you know they have several. I don't know, maybe not, maybe almost ten thousand miners now uh, that they manage, and they are the exclusive have the exclusive rights to some of the companies that sell them Bitfury, uh, Nvidia, some of the graphic card stuff. They've been able to get access to that, and they they manage the whole process. So for us. Like we bought the machines, which I always want to be an owner uh, in uh, deals like that because we got the depreciation immediately off of those machines. And we were then able to start collecting cash flow immediately from those machines. But yes, we had been dealing in Ethereum. I would say that was the, the baby brother in the crypto space yep. um, where Bitcoin is the name that most people know, right? Even my wife knows Bitcoin. She doesn't know Ethereum. But Bitcoin is also a much harder um, cryptocurrency to mine. It requires a lot more power. I mean, it's like, I don't know, don't quote me on this, like a thousand times more power than it takes to mine uh, Ethereum. It's one of the reasons why, you know, they, they're talking about, you know, the, the green energy and, and trying to, this is how they're going to attack this space is because the amount of energy they're using. But again, energy is only a resource if people use it. So I would say they're doing everybody a favor. But either way, we have partnered with this company who's taken it to another level and basically have gotten in a little bit of a partnership with a handful of other people. And we've bought like over 200 Bitcoin miners that are going to go fully operational toward the end of the year. Yeah, so this is going to be something that you'll hear us reporting on the cash flows of that uh, potentially next year. But uh, it was it was one of those things that we thought, man, this is this is a step towards this could potentially be uh, a replacement of the U.S. dollar. And if that's the case, we need to be about building some reserves over here. And so, anyway, that that was just our thought process. Is there any other reasons no, why you? No, you, I, you I agree. With, that? No, I agree hundred percent. I think that it creates cash flow immediately. That's one of the things I like about it. But also, I do believe in the fact that our currency, being centralized, is being manipulated, is being reduced every single day. And I don't know. I don't know if. if Bitcoin or Ethereum or any of these cryptocurrencies are going to be the future. We've talked to enough people in the know. Uh, we've talked to some of the most talented uh, economists in the U.S. and some, maybe even in the world have shared that they believe in five to ten years every single person is going to own a, a part 
of one of these cryptocurrencies. Just like like everybody has a credit card in their wallet, they believe that's what these cryptocurrencies will be to some level. Will it be a hundred percent that and no, you know, fiat currency, the U.S. dollar? I don't know, but I really think that we've got to get away from the government being able to mip, manipulate it. So I'm behind it because I like the decentralization of it. Yeah, I. I I don't understand all the technology, but the people that we've spent some serious time with that weren't selling us anything that we were talking to about it was showing us the smart contracts, the the real estate, the health, all the systems that are being built on the underlying technology is growing. That is the future. Then the currency that is basically supporting or is a, a support piece from that is what we're buying into. I, I like a lot of those things. Now, Joey, we we get pitched things constantly. Yep. There's a never-ending supply of opportunity for you and I to get our investment money into, and I don't think we have enough time to go through all of them. But I, I would just say, you know, for us, we we have to have a very specific buy box, things that we're going to look at, and we're not. And I'd say biotech is not one of them. Yep. Exactly. I, I would say speculation is not one of them. Yes. Uh, <laughs> if it if it's speculative. There's no, there's no reason for us to get behind it, um, unless now there, there's some, there's one or two things that we've gotten into that was more for a, a relationship, and more for like believing um, philosophically in the product. So honestly, in that case, I'm not necessarily looking for that money to potentially come back. It's quickly. more of a, you're making a donation. You're, in you're, your money. you're really making an investment in a person or uh, a relationship, which to be honest, that's going to re- drastically reduce how much I would ever put into it. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. And, and this is a question that we're getting. And I, I appreciate the question and know where it comes from is, you know, how do I get involved in any of these things? What's the easiest or the least expensive way to get involved? And my answer probably will be different than you were thinking, but the investment that you should make is in your education. Mm. You should spend as much money learning about things as you are actually investing in them. Now, that doesn't mean spend three years, right? That doesn't mean procrastinate, wander around, pick one thing based upon hopefully the investor DNA profile that you can go deep in, invest in the information. There's seminars, there's workshops, there's courses, there's, there's coaches, there, there's coaches, there's people that are doing this would even allow you to work for them. That Robert Kiyosaki in his book, Rich Dad Poor Dad for Teens, was was teaching some people work to earn, but he was talking about how you should be learn, how you should working be working to, to learn sometimes. Yeah. And so I would say there's people that are even doing these businesses. We had uh, Tao Simpson on our podcast not too long ago, and one of the things he said he learned the most from is working alongside a company who does rental properties who owns like 600 of them. When he had even 60, he was learning tremendously more from being around people who had 600. Yep. And, in that, and in that environment, he wasn't necessarily making way more money by being with them other than what he was learning from that process. So the first investment, the best investment that you can make the cheapest investment you can make is in yourself, not because the dollars and cents. I mean, we spent well over six figures last year in coaching and education on ourselves. True? 100%. And I would say that that money, people who want to get paid for something, pay for coaching. People who 
pay uh, for, you know, like, for instance, you take it to golf. People who go and pay to play golf don't have full-time coaches. Yet people who get paid to play golf have full-time coaches. If you want to get paid from your investment business, you should have full-time coaches. You should have people that you're learning from. So the best investment, the cheapest investment you're going to make is in yourself. It will produce the greatest returns. There's so many different things that you can invest in. And all of them and none of them are right for you. <laughs> you have to apply it to yourself. You have to invest in yourself to do it. So this has been the May 2021 Passive Income Report. I hope this was helpful to you. We really appreciate you, appreciate you listening into this podcast. Hope you have an amazing day. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.